Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 414. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. Happy 2024. This is our first episode of 2024. I hope you are healthy and well. I'm recovering from the flu, but I'm grateful to be feeling a lot better than I was. And I'm super excited to share this week's episode with you. I had the most Beautiful conversation with my guest today. My guest today is Dr. Marielle Bouquet, an Afro-Dominican psychologist who received her doctorate in counseling psychology from Columbia University, where she also trained as a fellow in holistic mental health. She's a world-renowned intergenerational trauma expert and the author of the book, Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma. Her clinical framework is holistic and infuses ancient and indigenous healing practices into a modern, comprehensive therapeutic approach. Dr. Bouquet has utilized her training in holistic care to integrate holistic practices like sound bath, meditation, and breath work into therapy, which has helped to deepen trauma healing for an entire generation of clients. She additionally provides healing workshops to Fortune 100 companies, including Google, Capital One, and Meta and lectures within the psychology department at Columbia University. Dr. Bouquet is widely sought out for her clinical expertise and trauma approach and has been featured on major media outlets, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, and ABC News. She's been named as a School of Greatness's 100 Greatest People Doing Good in 2022 and was an inaugural Very Well Mind 25 Mental Health Champion. And I'm very fortunate that she came to spend some time with me on Therapy Chat. In this conversation, we talked about how intergenerational trauma is held in our bodies and what people can do to break intergenerational cycles of trauma. I hope you'll enjoy listening to our conversation. I certainly loved talking with Marielle, and I 
hope you enjoy it as much as I did. As always, thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. Take care. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so excited to be talking with Dr. Marielle Bouquet. Marielle, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm really excited to talk to you. We are going to get into talking about intergenerational trauma and breaking the cycles and how intergenerational trauma can show up in our bodies. So before we get into it, can we start off by you telling our audience just a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a licensed psychologist and a trauma expert and and more specifically an intergenerational trauma expert and the author of the upcoming book, Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma. And I focus on the work from the perspective of holistic psychology or working with the mind, the body, and the spirit and the ways in which we can be very multidimensional about our healing. So a bit about me, I'm also Afro-Dominican. So I'm from the Dominican Republic and came to the U.S. when I was five. So very, very long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Thank you for that. And that that right there, coming here from another place, that adds a layer of a type of trauma, you know, immigration experience that has its own ancestral kind of attachments, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Yeah. It's something that I talk about, especially more so this year in my work and the ways in which my own personal experiences around trauma that have had that immigration-based connection have also informed the work that I do. It's helped me to hold a lot of compassion and space in ways that I think if I, I didn't have that, it probably would look different. The work would look different. But because I understand it personally as well, it definitely has added a layer of you know, depth and relatability to the work that I do. So, you know, it's there. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's start off with how you decided to write your book. What made you want to do this and where did you draw from to make this happen? You know, the the bigger motivator to write the book actually came from my clients themselves. I had been in the therapy rooms for a number of years and just like really hearing a lot of stories that had the same resonance. It just sounded the same story to story. And I kept getting really curious about why we as clinicians weren't really naming the fact that these stories had so many layers. And even when we were in like clinic team meetings, when I was still working in a hospital center, I used to work at Columbia Medical Center. And I also received the bulk of my clinical training there. But we would be in these clinical team meetings talking about our respective clients just to kind of gain feedback from each other as to how to approach the work. And the stories kept sounding the same. And yet again, it's like this, one might say like an elephant in the room that's not being really called out. We were talking about at that point in time, at least complex trauma. We were bringing that into the conversation, not 
of course, because it's not reflected in, in our diagnostic manuals, we weren't necessarily placing that, you know, in, in, in patient files or anything like that. But we were at least having the conversations, but not about intergenerational. And I thought, well, if we're not calling it out, we're not naming it. We are very far away from actually working with folks to heal this kind of generational wound. And, you know, I, I, I felt a sense of urgency. I think that's what really, really mm. pushed me initially to write. Yeah. So what, what were you seeing? What, what were you seeing that wasn't being named? You know, like, what did it sound like or look like? What was happening that, because I think about psychology and I'm a social worker, so social work is person in environment. So at least there's like an acknowledgement that the person is a product of their environment and what, you know, the, the way that the person develops is influenced by the environment rather than I feel like in psychology, it's more like your brain and you. And, you know, if your brain's working right, then you're in good shape. But if it's not, you got problems. And obviously yeah. <laughs> there's so many more factors involved. I'm sure I'm not a psychologist, obviously. So that's a very minimal like minimalistic way of explaining it. But, you know, I can see that there's a intergenerational trauma doesn't fit into a paradigm where it's just about the brain, you know? It doesn't, it cannot, it, it cannot be extracted from the environment at all because environmental factors actually contribute to the propagation of trauma inside of our homes. Mm -hmm. What, you know, I actually was very, very fortunate to receive training that was incredibly unconventional. First off, my my training at Columbia in in the the actual school was training that what they called it back then was like multicultural feminist oriented psychotherapy, right? So it already had a bend in the direction of like what is more like social work anyway. So I was fortunate in that way. At the medical center, we didn't have we had individual clinicians and supervisors that I was fortunate to work with that actually did have that framework as the ways that they approached the work. But the medical center itself was very psychoanalytic. Mm -hmm. So I did get a, a flavor of just about everything really mm -hmm. in my training. And in addition to that, I had a super unique experience of actually being the designated doctoral student for a fellowship that focus on integrated mental health care, which we now call holistic. So taken together, all of those things definitely contributed to my understanding that we have collective trauma that mm -hmm. intersperses itself within individual trauma and is also a big part of the clinical picture that we need to see intergenerational trauma from, right? We need to really inculcate that understanding of the ways in which our systems are diseased, are structured in order to disempower certain individuals and empower others, mm -hmm. and that those very mechanisms of disempowerment can produce profound traumas and have produced profound traumas for generations upon generations of many communities that have been held at the margin based on their social identities. And so all of that is a part of the clinical picture of how I see intergenerational trauma and in my book, in, in Break the Cycle, I, I have a dedicated space for us to be able to also attend to the collective trauma pieces that continue to 
create a surfacing of trauma from generation to generation because if we don't extract the responsibility, if we don't like attend to the fact that systems also have a responsibility and a duty to protect us from these profound and ongoing traumas, then we're going to be in the same place that we've been for generations because, you know, we can't really experience full and authentic healing inside of a disease society. I'll just be quiet for a second because <laughs> that needs to, yes, that just needs to percolate for, for a moment. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Yes. The systems should and must and are the only things in a way that can protect us from the effects of the oppressive systems. So that's that's part of the challenge, huh? Yeah, you know, and I like to emphasize how we can self-empower or collectively empower each other to also dismantle the very practices that are within systems that also perpetuate trauma, right? And so there is all of that that I also emphasize in the book because I, I we can't, you know, trauma is a very disempowering experience already. And what I want for readers and what I want for anybody who's a cycle breaker to have is a tool or at least some sort of a roadmap for how do I tackle even some of the bigger issues that are also contributing to the ways that I remain unwell and the ways that people in my family and in my communities have remained unwell. Where do I even start? Because it's a big task, right? But it's a task yeah. that if each of us collectively contribute to it, we can actually make a dent in society and like really reconfigure the ways that things have been. And I can, and I can offer examples, you know, like I'm a big nerd. <laughs> I call it a self-proclaimed nerd, but I, I, I've always been a super introverted, nerdy kid and like really kind of immersed into my adult life as being very much of the same. And I, I, I love documentaries. Like I light up when I watch a documentary and a lot of them do have a dark nature to them or, or maybe like have some sort of a psychological bend. But but the one that I've been recently watching was about the Boy Scouts of America mm. and the perpetuation of trauma that it was very pervasive within the Boy Scouts, right? And so, you know, when we as a society, even though there have been many people, especially survivors who collectivized, you know, their efforts to then, you know, disrupt the enormity of trauma that was being produced by this organization upon young boys. But, you know, the, the, the goal is here that, you know, to, for us to see that when we band together against institutions or systemic issues that create these ongoing traumas in our families, that we can make a change, right? Like there are things that can change in the direction of creating a safer society for especially the most vulnerable for children, but really for all of us. Mm-hmm. You're, you're really prompting some thoughts here for me. Because one thing I'm thinking about is, and my background is in my work is with sexual violence. So, you know, the Boy Scouts, the Catholic Church, other churches, you know, systemic sexual abuse is such a thing. And there's, there are types of systemic abuse of all kinds, you know, that are, that are really so institutionalized in so many ways. So I'm thinking about like, you talked about people coming together collectively to disrupt the abuse that the Boy Scouts of America was doing as an organization. 
You know, it wasn't just the individual abusers who were doing it. The system was enabling and supporting and totally complicit in the abuse. So they disrupted the systems by exposing it and suing the Boy Scouts, you know, and and causing it all to come to light so that it couldn't continue. And that's all. That's one form of disrupting the systems of, you know, oppression and abuse. But I think, too, that you're probably saying something about people's collective ability to heal together and come together in that way, too, aside from, like, using legal systems within Mm -hmm. our country's framework to try to you know, stop powerful organizations from doing harm. But there's something about collective healing that I think needs to be said out loud too here. Oh, I love this. Where you're you're heading, collective healing is one of the most powerful experiences that we can have as humans because we, we hurt in relationships. Relationships are most of what traumatizes us, right? And what hurts us. It can be relationships to other people, relationships to groups, relationships to systems, right? But it's all relationship. Yeah. And so when we heal in relationship, meaning a relationship to others, that holds an enormous amount of power in, in, in that process already that empowers every person that is a part of that healing collective. I mean, like, let's look at one of the most prominent ways in which in psychotherapy, we tend to heal, which is group psychotherapy. And we know that there is so much that happens in that group process that creates an experience of, oh, I feel seen. I feel heard. Someone gets it. Someone understands me. I see my, my experience mirrored in my fellow group member. That experience of feeling like you're not alone in your journey helps so much, especially with something as profoundly isolating as trauma. So when we're talking about the doing the work, I invite cycle breakers in my book and in my work to actually invite in a fellow cycle breaker, someone that they have determined is a person that feels psychologically safe to them, a person that feels like they are also doing some of the healing work themselves and are and can hold them accountable to doing the work and that they do the work together, that they engage in practices together, that they do deep breathing together, that they, you know, I, I offer an intergenerational trauma tree in my book that perhaps they engage in a debrief about what they found in their respective trees together. And if they're, let's say, siblings, I did a lot of the cycle breaking with my own sister that maybe they have discussions about their unified tree. But there is so much that can happen in that process that is so profoundly liberating for everybody that's involved that many times I do urge people to do that. Some people don't have the network or capacity to actually do the work with another human. But for the people that are willing and can, I always veer in the direction of like, you know, let's let's actually get you healing together with someone, whether that's a therapist or that's a a little cycle breaker. That's beautiful and makes so much sense because, you know, I'm sure you've heard that expression, what's broken in relationship heals in relationship. 
And, but that doesn't always have to be with a therapist necessarily, but someone else who's on that healing path too, who's able to hold space for you and you can hold space for them. I think that's one of the hard parts too about healing. As, as you were speaking before, I was thinking about how, you know, you talked about the, the many layers of, of trauma and the healing process and collective healing. And I was thinking about how it's so easy to get triggered by someone else, you know, not, it's not their fault, but if you're trying to do your work and something comes up and it can just get overwhelming and then you're not necessarily able to hold space for the other person. And it just can be, it's like you, you put a step in and then it gets flooding and then you have to pause and you work with that for a long time. And then, you know, you come back and you do another step and then it could be flooding. I'm not saying that in a way to discourage people from that journey, but it's, it's just so complicated to be able to hold what comes up for yourself and with other people and not get overwhelmed by the, the pain that arises, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's why being able to know what to do in those moments really helps, right? In my work, I remember I many, many years ago, I had this one supervisor who said something to me that just completely revolutionized the way that I approached the work. And he said, you know, you can't take away a person's psychological defense. He didn't say it exactly in this way, but I'm paraphrasing. But you can't take away a person's psychological defense without supplementing it with something else that they can hold on to. And so it, there is a reason why I don't go straight to a person's history when I first work with them. In the hospital system, you kind of have to do an, an evaluation. There's no way around it. That's the first point of contact with someone. And I actually am of the camp where I don't believe that that's the right approach. And I know that that's a little unconventional, but the reason being is because we're asking people to dig deep into their histories, into the deepest darkest, most hurtful parts of their soul without actually first equipping them with the tools to survive their own story. Mm. And that's really damaging. I believe in actually creating trauma buffers and creating the experience of new psychological coping mechanisms that are adaptive, that a person can hold on to, that are centered in their nervous system, that are very body-based. And that a person has a new level of grounding themselves, and then we can get into the history. That's why in my book, I don't even start with digging. You know, I call it like the excavation, you know, phase. And I really, I don't start there. I start with, let's talk about resilience. Let's talk about what you already have within you that can get you through this work. Mm, yeah. Well, that makes, that totally makes sense and is pretty unconventional for sure in field, right? It is. And I, and I know that I used to actually shy away from saying these things because I thought I'd make it some slack from my clinical community. But now, you know, like I, I'm, I'm so firm on this position that I've held on to for these years. And I can see how it, it it's very, to me, it feels the most ethical. And to me, it feels the most like thoughtful. You know, forget the ethic, forget anything, anything that, you know, binds us to a set of rules. I think it, it's just more people centered. 
it's like the person that I have in front of me, how could I just let you sit there in your suffering and like for your body to be on fire and like wanting to escape itself while you're telling your story so that I can gather data? Doesn't feel very fair to me. (laughs) What feels fair is what you've come to me to do, which is to ground, to feel safe in your own story. And my role is to, to help you navigate that with as many tools as are possible so that you don't feel like you have to offer yourself an escape that isn't healthy. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. It's not fair to, well, you said excavation before and the word that's coming to mind right now for me is like extracting, like extracting their story from them for your own purpose, our own purpose, right? So that's us having power over someone and taking something from them for our power, which is like colonization, right? <laughs> so the the yeah. whole way that our field is like that, just like I have power, let me do something to you. Trust me, it's going to help you, you know, and it's like... Uh, when someone's in crisis, mm-hmm. it just feels so much more right. It just feels like right to just be with them. Exactly. Like human That's to why, human. you know, it, human to human. Yeah. A lot of these humanistic approaches are, you know, some of the ones that I feel like really, really, it, it, I feel they're more relatable because I, I think they're really taking into account just the person, just a human, right? But also like interspersed with a lot of other of the psychologies that, you know, are decolonizing type of psychologies or feminist oriented or womanist oriented psychologies that help us to see, you know, there's a human in front of us and this human comes with a long history of pain. What happened? What happened around them? In my book, I actually like help us through a different process of understanding adverse childhood experiences. And it's what I've gathered in my work. It's what I believe the lens that I believe we should be applying to the work that we do with clients, which is an intergenerational lens, which also asks what happened in the world that contributed to you feeling this pain? Like you suffered a whole pandemic and within that pandemic, you also had multiple losses in your family. And you were also someone who, you know, let's say you're a part of the black community and you were also experiencing simultaneous to the COVID pandemic, the, experiences around police brutality that were leading to racial uprisings and a lot of like feelings of grief. You had to basically like operate a status quo, still be a parent, still be a partner, still show up to work every single day with all of these things happening. And then you also had a history of chronic sadness because that was a part of your family line. That's a lot for a person to carry. So when I see someone in front of me, that's like, I'm hurting. What can we do? I'm taking into consideration all of those things, the generational piece, the environmental piece, all the things, because it's all of it that's, you know, coming in with the person that's carrying all of that weight. Yeah, it is. I mean, you ever think that our culture, Western culture here doesn't doesn't like to see how complicated things really are? just like oversimplify things. The oversimplification of westernized culture is intentional mm-hmm. to maintain the status quo and to not disrupt the systems that are unbalanced 
and and tilt in the direction of power towards a like fear. And so should we educate the public? Should we be informed about our the 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 realities that we exist within? It's going to cause it it's gonna disrupt the equilibrium of the system that is in place that is structured to function exactly as it as it is functioning. So yeah, you know, uh, there's a method that I think is in place in, in our society that, you know, I, and I also believe that there is a lot of awakening that's happening in this season. I think there's awakening that happened like close to the 70s. And there's a new awakening that's also happening in this season where we're saying, you know what, let's, let's look at stuff in a, in a completely different way. And let's listen to the people that we've held at the bottom because they have something to say about how it feels to be there and what has kept them there. Let's open up the conversation so that we can start, you know, shifting to a, to a different way of existing in this society or shifting the ideologies and the policies and the structures that have not functioned in the service of all. Yes, very well said. I just want to say, I just want to kind of like correct myself because it's not... Like, did you ever think <laughs> that Western culture doesn't like things to seem complicated? It's not, oh, by the way, it's actually intentional. And I'm <laughs> aware of that. And I'm, you know, and also just like blind to that too at times. So thank you for reminding me back to that truth that it's intentional to make things seem very simple and disregard the complexity of people and their, how we are all impacted by our experiences. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we can all hold on to in keeping hope about the ways that cultural change is happening far, far, far too slowly, but it is happening is to remember that people together can, can move things forward, even when systems are lagging far behind. And I, I think we're in a really good time of that building again, like you were talking about how in the seventies, there was kind of like a start to that. And then it sort of went away. I think people got tired to be honest. I mean, I think, you know, it happens and they say that revolutions tend to skip a generation, right? So I think we're back at it. But I really appreciate your reflections because I think that that, you know, we in the back and forth and the, you know, drawing insight from here and there and like thinking about our own respective thoughts that we've had and like reconfiguring them. I think it's in all of that, that we all have like one constructive and beautiful conversation. And I've, I've found myself at those crossroads and those conversations many a time with people that have been willing to hear me out and hear me, you know, like in, in my thinking out loud. And I really, I, I think that that's the way that we can have the authentic expressions of our humanity that will hopefully like create the bigger shifts, right? So I'm, I'm, I, I love when conversations look like this. So I appreciate you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And and where you're going with this conversation and where you're leading and what your work is. So let's talk a little bit about, this is something that we kind of started off with before we actually were recording. I was saying how 
one, I'm recovering from COVID right now, but as I'm doing a lot of healing work myself and a lot of traumas coming up, I've been having this like gripping in my throat. And we were talking about how like the the throat chakra can be, you know, something that really can be open or it can be blocked. And (laughs) mine's feeling pretty blocked in terms of like, I want to, I want to speak about things. And I also, something tells me don't say it, you know? And it's like how, how ancestral intergenerational trauma and what was not safe to speak up about before. Like you can hear like my throat is like struggling to let me say this, but and I'm not holding my breath. It's just like, I don't know, but it's your cellular memory remembering yeah, on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so in my family, there's generations of secrets that because their secrets are not known. Right. I, I, I'll tell you, I recently had like, there's the stories, the oral history that you get in your family of, of what happened. And then there's the things that aren't filled in of those stories or the way the story is presented to you. That is just, that's what you were told, right? Like say someone died of a heart attack when they really maybe died by suicide, you know, things like that. And that's not a particular one in my, my story. I'm just like using that as an example, but with, with my family, you know, we know some of the stories by oral history that basically come from my grandmother of like her mother and her grandmother. Little snippets of story I can now recognize are really like trauma fragments, not linear narratives. But she wrote some stuff and we weren't given the the writings until she died. And now, and that and then she died like 18 years ago. So even though my family members, my siblings and I read some of what she wrote, we all like stopped reading because it was like so traumatic to read it. So, but, and I recently came back to it and I'm reading it in little bits because it really is so overwhelming to hear her words of her more complete story than she ever used to tell. And it just brings it to life. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that having her written words makes her story like come to life where before we only had aspects of it and there was stuff that wasn't there. So I guess I'm trying to say like, whether you know it out loud or not, it's still there. But when you do get something more tangible, like a picture of someone or oh, this was this. And we thought it was that, but actually, you know, it just, Mm -hmm. I can't say it because it's like nonverbal. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And a lot of our traumas tend to be nonverbal and captured in our bodies in ways that are very variable person to person. There would be a different ways that our bodies are absorbing our traumas and our family's traumas and the ways that they especially when it it happens for a a continuation of our lives for years, especially where they can even start blossoming chronic illness. And so it's why I, I find it to be 
really critical for us to also include the soma, the body in the understanding of how we heal and also an understanding of how trauma has been captured down our family line. There is a portion of my book where I focus on, there's this one section called grief is in the lung. And it's mostly a theory that's derived from Eastern medicine around where grief is directed at in the body and the levels of constriction within the lungs, you know, connected to grief and prolonged grief and complicated grief, especially. And I have, you know, my own experiences that I reflect upon in reference to grief being captured in the lungs, but also that of especially one particular client that I worked with whose story really stuck with me around chronic lung disease that she had developed that was, there was a known, no known factor or environmental or so-called environmental factor. But as we know, environmental factors sometimes look invisible to the eye that doesn't know where to look. And so there were factors there. We just hadn't really acknowledged them on behalf of this person until we did. And there's, you know, it's, it's not to cause fear or anguish in anyone that, you know, may be experiencing any kind of, you know, somatic side. Like I mentioned to you, Laura, prior to us hopping on, I also have my own history of experiencing bodily discomfort in reference to my own histories of trauma. And that just happens to be the ways that our body, you know, reflects to us, that signals to us that something needs our attention. Uh, but I think it's very, very interesting how the stories of your family are stories that have this oral nature and how, you know, your throat region is what is feeling most prominently, like, you know, mm. present in your mind right now. So I think, you know, our bodies are very wise. They're ancestral, they're wise, they're old bodies that, you know, continue to regenerate generation after generation. And they know, they know a lot more than we know cognitively. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's so, once you start looking and looking inward and really seeing what's there, if you, if you do want to break this cycle, it's, it's amazing how much is there and how interconnected things are. I think, you know, it's hard to grasp with our logical brain how because you know a lot of what we talk about in holistic work is like seemingly magical stuff you can't see a lot of it right but you can feel it and you know if you trust yourself you know that it's real but if you don't have like something to grab onto of like but how can this be real it's easy to just dismiss it absolutely I mean, and we can even argue that the whole basis around psychology is something we can't see, right? Like we yeah. can't see people's thoughts. We That's can't see true. their emotions, <laughs> you know, but we believe that they're there, right? So why not believe that, you know, a body is, you know, in essence, attacking itself in reference to its emotional pain. That's real too. Yeah. So can you say a little bit about that, about how you talk about chronic illness? I know you just did speak about it a little bit, but I know that it can be scary for people to hear or like it can, sometimes people can receive information about how trauma and intergenerational trauma can relate to illness as blaming someone for their illness. And that I know that's not what you're saying here, but 
How no, do you not talk at all. About you know, yeah, you know, first I, I like to always show grace, right? Because it's important for us to understand that before this generation and even before this decade, we didn't have this language floating through society, which means that whoever came before us, even ourselves, even us, it, who are three, four, five decades, six decades into this universe, we didn't have the language to actually understand that intergenerational trauma was even a factor in our lives. So when something is invisible, when something isn't called out, named, understood, there is no way to fix it. Yeah. We cannot heal what we cannot see. And so the important piece here is to also extend grace to anybody who just didn't have tangible tools like language around this phenomenon, but also the tools and tips and healing process and protocol that is going to be necessary to undo a lot of these fragments of trauma. So the ways that I start us off is by, of course, acknowledging that because Otherwise, we're going to be stuck in grief or we're going to be stuck in resentment and who didn't do the work and why didn't they break the cycle? And now I have all this emotional baggage that's loaded on my back and I have to undo all of it and figure out a way to, you know, not, not carry the legacy burdens that have been placed upon me. All of that is true. What is also true is the fact that they also had to do that. Whoever came before you, very much likely for a lot of the same reasons. And if you know what pain feels like as a result, that might offer you an opportunity to also hold compassion for the fact that they had to hold on to pain for decades of their life. That's helped me a lot with my own parents because, you know, sometimes I'll look at my parents and I'll be like, that is exactly that, you know, falls in the category of emotional maturity. It's, it's something that like, you know, like drives me to a point of irritation. And I'm like, they don't have the tool. And I'm actually, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, like, I feel... I feel pretty bad for the fact that they had to suffer so much without having some place to pour those feelings. And, you know, they're inadvertently pouring it onto me. So that's not always everybody's journey to have that level of compassion. And it has not been my journey through and through. I actually started off from a point of having a lot of anger towards my family. And I think that that's very, very common for cycle breakers. You're like, why didn't they do this? And why are they like this? And, and we go through that journey. And that's to be honored as well. Eventually, we land somewhere else. And that somewhere else feels a bit lighter. And it's filled with some level of compassion. If not compassion for anybody else, that is compassion for ourselves, for the ways in which we've had to carry traumas that didn't belong to us. That's beautiful. And you know what? I love how you kind of you were sort of naming that stage of, I, it's almost like as if we start with the self-blame. Oh, it must be me. I'm so messed up. I'm so broken. And then we go to, oh, it's them. <laughs> it's them. It's their fault. And the truth is, it's always, it wasn't us. It wasn't them. It was all of it. And, but I mean, to say I'm not blaming anyone for the trauma they've experienced as if it's the person, the trauma survivor's fault that they experience trauma. I'm not saying that, but it's like, you know, I can take steps. I can work to heal and know that I won't get it perfectly right. And, you know, my children will have a lot of work to do too, to un, 
do what I did to them because of what I didn't know. But are we trying, you know, the best we can? Are we really trying the best we can to, when we know better, do better, you know, and continue instead of sitting back and being like, I did enough, you know, they can figure it out, you know? Yeah, that's a, a, a much more, that approach, it has so much more intention, right? It's like, I care about the next generation, even if the next generation of my kids, they're 21 and 23, right? Like I care enough about what's the impact upon them that I'm going to continue the process of trying to understand how I can support them. And we have to acknowledge also that there's sometimes in families there's fracturing and that trauma has gotten in the way so much and so profoundly so that there isn't an opportunity to heal together, but there's opportunity to heal oneself. And maybe, you know, even if it's just, you know, through our thoughts, just extend compassion forward and that can happen you know the cycle breaking journey is so individual that it looks so different person to person so I never really try and veer anyone in any direction or another but more so just honor where they are and where they'd like to be and I think that that's you know the role as facilitator that's the role that I I take pride in I just try and help a person understand what the real goals are in their own heart and help them find their way there So beautiful. And your book sounds so wonderful and needed. And it sounds like, and I'll be pre-ordering it as soon as we finish. Thank you. It sounds like it's a real manual, like a real guide for how, not just that we need to break the cycle, but how. So that's exactly what I was hoping for, which is why I called it a guide to healing intergenerational trauma. I wanted it to be a guide for us, the cycle breakers of the world. And I wanted it to be a guide for clinicians and healers who are helping others to navigate these kinds of traumatic complexity. I'm so grateful for the work you're doing and the book that you've written and how you are influencing our field and that you took the time to be with me today here on Therapy Chat. So thank you very much for being my guest. I'm so incredibly honored to be your guest. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. Let's just end with letting everybody know where can they find your wonderful book and all of the amazing things that you are doing in the world. Thank you for that. So people can find my work on social media. People can find my work at Bouquet, but a lot of my work and everything that I'm up to and additional resources, including a sound bath meditation and intergenerational trauma healing quiz and other things can be found on my website, which is drmarielbk.com. Beautiful. I will put links to your website and your social media links in the show notes. And I'm going to check out that sound bath meditation myself. I can't wait. Thank you so much. And of course, the book also has three accompanying sound bath meditations Ooh. and people can find links to my book in on my webpage as well. But I will be recording those for people to also feel a sense of grounding while they're doing the work. That's so beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you again for being my guest on Therapy Chat. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. 
And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.